finished the movie and I felt like I had woken up from a very strange dream. Welcome to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I am Michael, uh, your terrible pronouncer of other languages' words, and your guido for this episode. I am joined by my stalwart companion, friend, and acquaintance, Jesse. Our, and this is where I'm going to mess up, Gaitsuyo, Gaitsuyi. How you doing, Jesse? Uh, I'm doing all right, Michael. I feel like you're just bracing the listeners for what the next hour is going to consist of. So yeah, yeah. and for those that are curious, I uh, was trying to call Jesse um, student or pupil uh, in Japanese, and I think I butchered it. And I apologize for that beautiful language being butchered by such a person like myself. We're off to a good start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and actually, uh, this episode, we are joined by a special guest, our friend uh, from a very long time now, and my favorite tennis captain, and for this episode, our uh, sensei, Dre. How you doing, man? Great, Michael. Uh, great to hear you guys. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, um, and for those that are probably wondering why I'm horrifically murdering and butchering uh, Japanese words uh, is because, well, this episode, we're going to talk about something that I think Andre and I uh, kind of share a bit of a passion for is uh, anime. And specifically this episode, we're going to talk about what I think is one of the greatest motion picture anime movies, if not one of the greatest animated movies of all time princess mononoke and dre you, you i mean you you've watched this i'm assuming you've watched this movie a few times if not before this instance of us talking about it correct oh yeah yeah um definitely familiar with miyazaki's work uh, it is iconic right he's like the pixar of the east i mean but that's so much more mm-hmm. accessible to everyone you know he doesn't make movies for kids he makes movies for people and uh, I think uh, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, uh, he really does something really special with this film. So I just echo a lot of what you say there. It's really true. Perfect. And then, Jesse, uh, this is you actually, I think, just watched it last night for the first time, correct? Yes, I, I popped my cherry, if you will, with this particular anime and filmmaker. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. So I think, we, yeah, kind of what we'll do is just kind of give an overview of the episode here. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of the uh, the director a little bit, the Japanese release, the uh, U.S. release, and then a little bit of kind of about the movie itself. And then we're going to talk about kind of our impressions, our thoughts, and then wrap up with us, you know, so maybe some fun quotes and some fun stories about the movie itself, kind of how it came to be. So starting off, like Dre said, uh, the movie was directed by... Uh, the wonderful and fantastic uh, Mr. Miyazaki, who is just, I mean, the, the man's work is, is, is amazing. He's just such a, a wonderful director, I feel like. Okay. Uh, the, the almost, I, th- I think, uh, like the Disney of the East, I think I've heard him called before. 
um, just with the pure ability to produce such wonderful pieces um, from his mind and through his through his abilities. I thought Dre called him the Pixar of the East. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Um, no, uh, Michael's absolutely right. Disney is just as iconic, obviously, uh, for the stories that they've put out there. And uh, I don't know, you, you watch one of his films and uh, people familiar uh, with, uh, you know, kind of anime in general um, might recognize just a, a single scene, just a single picture. And it's his animation style, it's his storytelling style. But uh, yeah, I, I would still kind of emphasize because it's animated, I think there's this general idea that it's a, a kid's movie. And for a lot of stuff in the West, that's, that's very true. You talk about a Disney movie that's sometimes presented in a way that adults can have some humor, have some fun. Um, Miyazaki is kind of a different take on that, in my opinion. And I'm sure Michael has plenty more to say on the matter, but uh, yeah, just kind of a different look as to what that can mean in terms of uh, the storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Miyazaki does such a wonderful job of kind of. Uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, kind of go back to what Patrick uh, said a while back on one of our uh, other episodes, where essentially he he doesn't talk down to kids. He treats them as what they are, which is you know just small adults, and treats them with with the respect that they're due, and has conversations and brings forth themes and elements that really are something that you wouldn't expect in a Western media to be presented to a younger audience. And admittedly, to be, to, to be said, I do feel like we are kind of moving towards those conversations with a lot more of our more recent uh, cinema going experiences with, uh, you know, Inside Out being able to talk really about emotions and depression and things like that. Soul kind of talking about the great beyond and that experience. So I do kind of feel like we're moving towards that, but Miyazaki and a lot of these animated animated movies he's put out been doing it for decades before, you know, we've kind of caught back up. Mm -hmm. That's very true. So, um, and a little more about uh, Princess Mononoke, the movie. It was originally released in Japan in 1997. Publisher of the movie was Toho. And it actually made 19.3 million yen, which is pretty impressive uh, when you think about it and compare uh, for, you know, everyone that doesn't know the conversion between yen and dollars off the top of their head. Uh, that's 14.2 million in American. So it was, I think at the time it was the... I think it only got beat out by another film from the same from the same mind and the same um, uh, production was the highest grossing Japanese movie until Spirited Away. So that just shows you the the level of quality that was being put out by this movie and so amazed by it. Um, and then also just to kind of give some reference and things like that, uh, one of the big things that they do in this movie is uh, Mononoke. Uh, I know I've talked with other people in the past and people think, well, Mononoke is the princess on the poster, the wolf girl, right? Actually, she's not. Mononoke means um, dark spirit or a scary spirit that has the ability to do harm to somebody, potentially even possess them. And so the even the title of the movie means, you know, Princess Mononoke does refer to the main female character. It means essentially it refers to her as the princess of the four spirits, the dark spirits. And that's kind of the, I, that, that even starts off the whole themes and ideas that come forth in this movie, this foreign other 
uh, man versus nature and everything that goes along with that. So I think we'll just get right talking into kind of what we think about it. Um, I, I, I want to really lead off with what you thought, Jesse, as being uh, having your cherry popped, quote unquote, for the first time here, what you kind of were either expecting going in or uh, what you got coming out. I think you had a great quote when you texted Dre and me uh, about finishing it. Yeah, I believe what I said was I finished the movie and I felt like I had woken up from a very strange dream after finishing <laughs> it. And I find that's fairly typical with anime, I think, to some of the points you guys had brought up earlier, that this style of animation really lends itself to just people rather than you know just kids or adults or what have you so it's always going to be something distinct and different than what we typically see animation wise over here in the states so that i think knowing going in was an expectation i had but now i i like the movie i i thought it did have some some good themes. It was kind of a downer for a little bit. It was starting to feel, <laughs> starting to despair a little bit about the state of the world and things like that. And then uh, it, it ends on, you know, of course, a more uplifting note. But um, I think it had a, had a pretty strong voice and a, a strong message it was trying to convey. And one of my favorite things about anime and this is always going to set it apart from any you know style of animation you'll see from Disney or Pixar or what have you. But they're uh, they're chasing the the main character, a couple of those rogue samurai guys, and one of them just gets like freaking decapitated. I had, to, <laughs> I had to do a double take because it cut away, and I was like, did that guy just get freaking decapitated? And then he just rides up with no head, falls off his horse, and he's dead. And I was like, ah, okay, we're in. We're in anime now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought overall it was it was an interesting experience, and I, I always think it's funny, too, when I watch these older movies, and I don't know a whole lot about it, and you start to recognize like certain actors as you know mm. part of the voices like billy bob thornton you know was part of this <laughs> you know billy crudup who i did not recognize very much you know until i saw his name in the credits so um among others so yeah i mean overall it was it was an enjoyable experience but i always kind of get that or come away with that feeling of well that was just like a really weird ass dream that I just had, but now I'm awake. So, I mean, I, I you know what you're, uh, you, you do kind of, I'd like the, 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 the samurai head coming off as like a very clear indication. It's, I remember watching it when I was a kid and like that imagery of when he's riding through the village, the village and early on of mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, uh, him on his journey. Right. And he like, essentially like rips that guy's that guy's arm off by not even hitting his own arms if you watch it he 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 hits the sword the guy's wielding and that rips his arms clean off um and he decapitates another uh, samurai which i think is his favorite pastime um <laughs> no, no limbs or appendages are safe in this movie apparently so <laughs> yeah very true so dre what uh, so i mean 
Uh, like, mm-hmm. like we said, you've seen it before. What, what are your kind of thoughts and feelings about the movie? <laughs> um, yeah, no, Jesse had some really good points. And uh, yeah, it's not anime unless people are doing something ridiculously superhuman, right? You know, shooting an arrow, decapitating somebody, um, you know, pushing that giant gate up later in the film just with one arm, you know, then shot. No worries. Just, just walk right through it. Um, I don't know. I think... Uh, Jesse brought up a really good point about kind of despairing about the sense of the world uh, when you watch that film, because, um, uh, you know, I don't think we really spoke about it up to this point, but Miyazaki's films, uh, I mean, he has dozens. It's uh, Studio Ghibli. Ghibli? I'm, I'm not sure about the pronunciation, so I'll be with Michael on not being able to, uh, <laughs> to nail those occasionally. I've heard it both ways. Um, but in a nutshell, I mean, the really famous one, Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, um, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, um, you know, there's so many house moving castle. But anyway, I guess the point is, is that you expect a lot of like animated films or kids films to be kind of about growing up or, you know, what can be scary. Um, this movie is really just about human nature and, uh, and conflict, which is really like poignant right now. I think we need to hear stories about that right now because the, the real enemy, the real antagonist in this movie is conflict. You know, it's misunderstanding. It's not seeing uh, conflict as anything but intractable. There's just two sides to this, and that's all there can ever be. There can't be anyone who wants a middle ground or, um, that, uh, you know, we can all get along. That's something that we desperately need to hear. And you're right, it is a downer to see somebody struggle with that through a lot of the movie and try and figure out uh, what to do. You know, the... The story where he, you know, he leaves, he leaves his village, his arm's been, I guess, like, corrupted. Um, you know, he's basically being infected with hatred. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that about, like, the, you know, the arrow taken off the dude's head. It's, it's the hand that's been infected with hatred or corruption or whatever you want to describe it as. Um, but that's what is causing him maybe to be so strong or so powerful in the moment. But it's taking life at the same time. It's really horrible, you know, the effects of that. Um, so I don't know. It, it's uh, it, it's a really thrilling story insofar as you know when you look at it that lens, especially as an adult, and you see you know somebody who just wants to see the world a little bit better than it was, and so many forces trying to keep the status quo for whatever reason, because of greed, because they don't see any other way. I, I think it's really cool that it's uh, you know that it's painted in this way that uh, somebody can struggle to try and find the middle ground. Yeah, I. I... I, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly, Jay. The the I mean, even Miyazaki, the director, talks about kind of being like uh, spoiler for a lot of his other movies. Uh, he has a very anti-war feeling. Um, <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle is is a great example of very strong anti-war. This has a lot of that where there's no true evil past conflict and even look at this movie and i struggle saying you know one person in this movie is the true quote-unquote villain Um, Mm -hmm. everybody has a reason for what they're doing they all feel like their reason is the correct reason and all it does is that it just shows that there's this conflict is an inherent state that we live in and we need to figure out a way to work with each other. And I really do feel like this movie does a great job of showing how, you know, an eye for an eye can leave the whole world blind type mm-hmm. approach. So says Keith David, the line bore God in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and Ashitaka, that's the character's name, has the, he has the fetish with taking off people's heads with just one arrow. <laughs> is, um, but it's not even it's not even necessarily like he you see it consistently he doesn't want to do these things it's one it's power it's it's part and power of the corruption of the arm the hatred the anger the rage that's part of his curse but also he he consistently goes i don't want to do this i don't you know i don't want to have to do these i, I don't want to be in these situations i don't want to hurt people he uh, specifically, you know, bends that one samurai sword when he's just like, I'm, I'm fed up with you people. You know, I told you not to fight each other, and now here you are fighting, and I'm just, I'm just done with it. And uh, he then like just steps in between two, the two women fighting, um, San and Lady Aboshi, uh, mm-hmm. and just you know, gut checks both of them to knock them out, and then goes, all right, take her away. I'm gonna leave with this lady, and is just like trying to do the most. Yeah, you know, just trying to be the middle ground to be like, we should stop fighting everybody. Please stop fighting. My arm hurts and it's making it worse because of all the anger that's happening. Uh, speaking of those two women, aren't they perfect foils for each other, right? I mean, they both are ambitious and strong and like so many good characteristics and yet they're at each other's throats. Like they share so much in common, but they'd never see it. You know, it's, it's just such a cool way to see that story being told. I, I really like that, you know, the way that you put that. To kind of another point on this idea that these two women are such strong characters is that they both have these like super great redeeming qualities. Lady Aboshi has taken Iron Town and it has turned it around. She's made it more industrious. Uh, she's made them more successful. She's given them more food, and not on. And then on top of that, she's gone and bought out contracts for mm-hmm. different women in whatever capacity adult entertainment they would be in, and has brought them to the town to essentially live a better life. As well as you see in her garden, uh, which was confirmed later by Miyazaki, and at the time not a lot of people knew, but the people that are working on the guns, the smiths in that one area are uh, leopards. They actually have the, that disease, and she brings them there to showcase, you know, that these people are still worth having around. They still have qualities. They still have, you know, a purpose in life, and it's just such a wonderful thing to see. And San, in counterpoints believes you know is it doesn't want the boar gods to eat um ashitaka and but still wants the forest to thrive and survive and really it's just those two are standing in each other's way isn't it cool that sen actually identifies as a wolf like when asked you know because she was raised by them mm-hmm. uh you know she's thrown away her own humanity like urboshi uh, is so human uh, because of that caring the you know like she puts people first before anything else and uh the opposite of that then she puts the forest first before anything else um i know miyazaki has a long history of kind of uh putting you know center stage the issues with humans and the way they interact with the environment um and it's just interesting to see both sides of that and say like neither of these are, are are usable options you know that's why um you know the guy's always saying uh, can't we find a way to let the people in the forest live together? You know, there has to be a middle ground between those two. It can't be industry and it can't be, uh, you know, preservation, um, you know, of the forest alone. Those two things can't coincide together. 
Um, I think, too, for a movie made in 1997, I mean, which, you know, the 90s was not like the most backwards time or decade or anything like that. To have a a woman in a position of power where she's not only overseeing industry, but, you know, in a lot of ways furthering or advocating for, you know, the interests of man or, you know, however you want to put it, that, I mean, that's pretty progressive to have a woman in a role like that for a movie that was released at that time. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And it's kind of, um, I think one of the I, I was I was looking for it and I just found it here. Uh, the uh, Miyazaki actually put out his goals for the movie, and I was going to share them uh, summarized into five points for you guys. Uh, discrimination is everywhere is one of them, and I feel like that kind of is addressed throughout the entire movie. Where again, everyone is at odds with everyone. Everyone is, you know, even the humans are at odds with humans. Even the factions inside of the humans are fighting amongst themselves uh the relationships between humanity and nature i mean again the whole thing of the fight between iron town and the forest spirits uh the amplification of human hatred uh and the instances of pushes uh, that pushes murder and destruction so again i mean the curse is a great example is he doesn't want to do these things he doesn't want to have to kill these people but he keeps unfortunately doing it because he has the ability and the power because of the hatred and destruction that's in there uh, and then the conflict between uh, mysticism and uh, rationalism uh, being so much of the overall themes of the movie and then the the cavity of the ch- the children's mind so essentially i think he means here is that he wants just the, the understanding that children are so impressionable and we need to be careful about what we are doing and how we are acting because they learn and it's only going to propagate the the hatred and the fighting. And I think that's really shown between San and I'm going, and dear God, I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, um, is the... Uh, I believe in you. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. oh. uh, uh, is... Uh, Shishigami as the protector of the wolf clan. And so it's just kind of showcasing the leader of the wolves is, you know, this is the fight. You see the boar gods, the varying different ones of them leading the charge and their clan subsequently following in that footsteps is that they're still fighting for these things. And you see that happening between the different animal, the different animal clans, the God clans, I would say. And they just keep fighting because that's what they, they need to do because it was what came before them. Do you think that might have kind of a string of kind of honoring tradition, kind of making it feel maybe antiquated, not to question it or to be skeptical? Um, I don't want to pull too much into like other movies because I feel like that's a little ostracizing if someone watches this trying to you know, learn about this episode. But like, you know, Spirited Away, that was a big part of like why, uh, you know, parents turn into pigs and stuff is, uh, you know, from a place where people were you know, becoming more capitalist and they were throwing tradition aside at times, you know. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm no expert on the topic by any means, but I just think that there might be something there, the idea of, uh, 
Uh, Miyazaki's never had a problem with picking a good look as to why we are what we are and what makes us you know, what we are. And if those two things are maybe a little related. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's 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 impressive watching him work through so many of these movies. And I, and I personally, I actually like Princess Mononoke more than I like Spirited Away because I feel like Spirit Away is is a great coming of age story, is a great evolution, and uh, of kind of showcasing the growing of a particular person. Where I feel like Princess Mononoke is more about us as an entire human condition and how we interact with our world around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I completely agree, man. I, I don't know. I. I would wonder maybe like what everyone's big takeaway is. For me, it's a good reminder that we're all capable of great evil. That evil's really, uh, sometimes it does come down to a matter of perspective. There are things that are always objectively wrong, but ultimately, like most people aren't pure evil. Like you said earlier, uh, evil kind of resides in conflict. And it's just a reminder we're all capable of doing that. I, I don't know. Jesse, like what, uh, what did you come out with, with the movie? If you had to like, you know, boil it down to talk to, uh, you know, a kid about, uh, what they maybe took out of it or what they felt, what, what would you say? Oh man. <laughs> Where would you even start with a kid in this movie? I'd have to pass the decapitation for games <laughs> and stuff. But, um, I think similar, to what you guys are saying, you know, the movie is really about, you know, not just, you know, great evil in all of us, but I think the, just the excesses and the things that we are supposed to feel like, you know, we, we need to pursue in terms of, you know, advancing industry and, you know, technology and taking from the environment to fuel these types of things. And I think what I took away is that, you know, every, every ecosystem, you know, has its breaking point and, you know, it's kind of like the giving tree, right? You just, you take, and you, you take and you take, and then there's a little, you know, stump at the end and then that, that tree is gone. So I think they're trying to convey that almost like a warning of, you know, we need to have a conversation about this and we need, young people to know about this because they're the future and rather than you know have that message conveyed in a documentary you know voiced by uh david attenborough or what <laughs> have you um <laughs> we're, we're having that here in this medium where i think we can still tell you know an, an engaging story and an important story that you know will resonate with people but hopefully you know after seeing this for the first time, you know, most people have kind of just, you know, had that message in the back of their head and, you know, have carried that with them since this. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of anime likes to do and had the ability to, you know, still chop people's limbs and heads off still. <laughs> giving you a, a pretty good lesson on, you know, something important. So that was that was my takeaway as as I was watching this. And I'm sure, you know, going through a second time I'll probably pick up on some things that I didn't catch the first time because you're just kind of laser focused on the story. But uh yeah, that's that's where I was at. Very nice. So I think my biggest takeaway from the movie 
uh, and maybe this will come around. And I'm, I'm sorry, Jesse, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin a bit of your happier ending on the end of the story. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that my biggest takeaway is even with the best intentions, destruction still destroys because at the end of the movie, they talk about how the forest is no longer. And actually I'm going to, uh, apologize here because I'm probably going to get ummed actually by some people. I meant to say, uh, Maro, uh, is the, the canine, uh, the canine spirit, the mother, the wolf mother, and, uh, Shishigami is the, uh, forest spirit. Um, I apologize. I had my notes mixed up. Uh, <laughs> but, um, at the end of the movie, they talk about how the, the forest that is there now will not be the same forest that there that was there before. It is going to be a different forest. It is still going to be a forest, but the irreparable damage that was done because of this conflict is still going to leave lasting scars and lasting impressions, and we can never go back to the way it was before. So, I mean, that's like a really big part of it is like, I see, I see the last part of the movie and see the one little, um, tree spirit, uh, show up and do his little head jiggle. And it's, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's wonder, it's cute, but then it's also, it's just, it's only one of them. And, you know, he might be the only one that comes back because now the forest is irreparably changed because of it, that these animals no longer have this spiritual place. The, the spirit of the forest is gone and is, is never coming back. So now it's, everything is going to be different from this point. I kind of didn't really know what the fuck I was looking at. He was just kind of doing his thing. And then the movie just ended. And then that was for me, the part where it's you're like your dream. And then you, it shifts into this really <laughs> weird instance. And I can wake up right away. I'm like, ah, the hell was that? <laughs> so, so I, but, uh, no, I, I, I hear you on that. I think, my point was more mm -hmm. the story itself is pretty is pretty dour and you know they're you know it's it's about a serious topic and at the very least you know at the end these different clans or you know uh, civilizations are pledging that they're going to do better you know in the future and they're yeah. not going to uh, de-escalate to this level of violence and destruction again. That said, to your point it's you know it's not going to be like it was before you know so they better <laughs> do a better job next time or else they're really going to be up shit creek so yeah exactly and i after you explaining it there I, I i understand i i get what you're saying now yeah i mean it's not like you you end this movie and it's you know the end of Toy Story, the first one or whatever, and everybody's happy and everything. It's not, it's not anything like that. And I think that's just, uh, you know, the layers of, you know, the mature themes that you see in this genre, I think lends itself better to that type of resolution and climax rather than, you know, having your, your fairy tale or your Hollywood ending where everything just kind of magically works out. <laughs> That's a fair point, man. I don't know. This is one of those movies that, like, you know, if you wanted to do a, uh, like, an essay piece in high school or something like that, you could ask 10 people to write essays about this, get 10 different essays. You know what I mean? 
Um, not like Toy Story, like you pointed out. Like the <laughs> end's the end, and everything worked out, and everyone's really happy. And Andy's gonna go to college one day, and we don't know whatever happened to his dad. I know that's you know, Pixar theory, but whatever. We never but, saw you know, just... it again. Is he still blowing up toys? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's about the biggest cliffhangers you have there. But might be in a psychiatric ward somewhere. Who knows? <clears throat> Isn't there a theory that he's like the garbage man later on down the road? Kind of, kind of messed up, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, we could do a whole episode just on all the theories and all that from Pixar and how the movies overlap. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's a good point, Dre, and I think that's what you're looking for, you know, with something like this. Is you know, it's going to convey you know, a single message and, and tell a story, but, you know, what people then take away from that, I think it's going to be unique to, you know, their individual perspective and really kind of where they're at in their own lives. And that's, that's always the case, you know, with this more, you know, higher level, you know, in-depth, meaningful type of storytelling. So, I, I think that's what makes it timeless. And I think that's what makes it, you know, approachable to end adults, you know, kids see, a story that they might paint uh, as, you know, a love story or a uh, story about kind of good and evil, but it's, you know, it's clearly got more to it than that. Um, but I think that's why it's engaging. Even at 30 years old, you watch this movie for the first time, like you said, and there's some stuff to take away from it that, uh, yeah, might give you some feels, even if it is a little dour. Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> when Keith David was bemoaning the, the fucking end of his, his boar race, I think that's where they kind of Dude, go. you and these voice actors, but star-studded cast, right? Yeah, I I was looking at it, and in addition to the ones I've mentioned, they had Claire Danes in this, voicing mm -hmm. Sam, uh, Tara Strong, who I think you guys would probably recognize from, you know, Harley Quinn, the Batman animated mm -hmm. series. Um, uh, I think also... Mini Driver uh, for uh, Lady Eboshi. And then I saw, I think, Jada Pinkett Smith as well. So they got, like you said, Dre, they got a star-studded <laughs> cast. I, I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall when they were they were pitching this story to all these, these fucking American <laughs> actors. <laughs> That's probably a good conversation. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> yeah that's that's a fair point man and you know that's true for a lot of miyazaki's films um god he always gets amazing actors i know uh willem dafoe or as marcus says willem defriend um <laughs> he shows up in a ton of his work um I, I don't know he just he always gets some incredible voice actors uh, to pop up for his American releases, and uh, I, I don't know. I think that just speaks, you know, gives a little testimony to how good of a movie he's really making. Probably his reputation too. You know, he's established this track record as someone who's going to offer a chance to participate in a different kind of project and do something different, mm -hmm. and it's going to be quality. And I think that's that's appealing, you know, for, mm -hmm. for these actors who you know are just in Marvel films or rom-coms all the time or whatever the case may be. So That's fair. We'll have to get you to watch Howl's Moving Castle, man. That's got Christian Bale in it. Got a got a long list of anime <laughs> to catch up on. Almost as long as the list I had after our audiobook pod. So I, <laughs> I need to 
I need to hurry up and get married so I can <laughs> start doing it. <laughs> They're just piling up on me. Oh, man. I mean, I, I think it was great, Jesse, that when we were talking about kind of doing this episode, we were throwing around some ideas and you suggested um, Spirited Away and Akira. And uh, I know you were trying to, you were kind of struggling to uh, watch this one, understandably so, not, not 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 ripping on you for anything like that. But then you were like, I was just like, well, if you can't make, l- l- we can talk about Spirited Away or Akira. And then you were like, I haven't watched either of those either. And I was like, Jesse, <laughs> killing, killing us here. Right. Same here. <laughs> it's my attempt to at least kind of fake like I know what I'm talking about <laughs> by making more famous ones that I could, you know, do some research on. But I, you know, to, you know, you guys' point, I think what I would have done in hindsight is probably just, you know, let you guys talk about whatever you wanted to, which is what happened. So here we are. <laughs> Well, I'm still glad you got to watch the movie, bud, because uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's up there. It's probably one of my favorite films of all time. Um, which uh, you know, it's not it's not all anime on that list. I don't dole that out now easily, but it really I think uh, uh, is just a, a solid story all the way through. Yeah, I mean, you see Spirited Away mentioned, you know, often and consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the you know, most acclaimed, critically acclaimed films ever made. So there is absolutely a, a place for this genre, you know, alongside all those other <clears throat> other genres of film. And, you know, it's I think it's a shame that it doesn't get a little more attention or coverage from, you know, national media about, you know, the quality of some of this work. But, uh, you know, that's that just kind of comes with the territory, I feel. That's true. I am happy to see it more in uh, kind of popular culture. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, even rap lyrics these days that'll throw out references to Dragon Ball Z or something. And it's just kind of cool that, like, I remember getting made fun of when I was young, you know, for uh, liking things like this. And I'm glad to see that, like, people are bringing it in the mainstream where it's like, no, it's just just a different representation of art. You can like a live action film. You can like this. You can... Uh, like something computer generated, like Pixar is going to put out, and that's fine. All of it's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> yeah, I actually think it's um, kind of the the cultural significance. I think of like Jay was saying, the intersection of cultures that happens because of these types of uh, this type of entertainment, and just how it can. Inf- I'm going to say, in fact, uh, in fact and get into so many different areas and i i think there's um petra uh natalie's uh one of natalie's friends that i know and jesse knows uh actually did a really great uh, petra what i say petra jesus wow hopefully she doesn't listen to this i'm gonna get she's gonna get so mad at me (laughs) natalie's definitely gonna mention that to her now so yeah Oh, great. Wonderful. I'll send it to her. It'll be great. I'll, 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 I'll just rip the bandaid off myself. Uh, she actually, and it's be, the worst part to hear is about to, she actually did uh, a really great uh, cosplay. It's of Sen, the, 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 the main female character. And just to showcase that, you know, so many people care about these types of movies that they're they want to be a part of these this world in whatever way they can and show their appreciation through so many different means that's a good point yeah absolutely 
the whole cosplay thing has really taken off and uh it really has become an outlet for like creativity uh you know embracing parts of other cultures which is really cool to see uh something like that definitely would not have happened when we were 13 14 mm-hmm. you know it just wasn't in the cards i remember to Trey's point, I remember taking some shit for just liking Dragon Ball Z, which most, you know, most guys we hung out with at least knew what that was. And it's like, hey, this is this is the most famous one. Why are you why are you roasting me for that one? Dude, like Toonami was amazing. You guys remember coming home to that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like three to five or whatever it was. It was like my TV time. You know what I mean? I look forward to it. I liked his video game reviews. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that kind of just showcases, I think, the importance of like a lot of uh, the, the basic understanding that this has grown and changed over time is that there are so many of us out there now that, you know, did stay up super late and watch Toonami when uh, Dragon Ball Z was on and watched, you know, was introduced to Cowboy Bebop for the first time. And oh, just so yeah. many, of the, so many of these things. And I remember uh, Toonami like putting out. Uh, like doing movie releases and like that was the only way I was like able to experience these so early on in life uh, that just subsequently made me go oh gosh I remember that movie I want to now I want to rewatch it as an adult and go back and see what it was like and really be able to watch it all over again oh dude I I can't agree more like I, I feel a little spoiled now that if there is something that piques my interest it's like five clicks away um, I remember perusing the uh, aisles in Best Buy because that was like the only place that would sell like an anime film just to go and see if they had something that looked interesting. And like, you know, that 10 films or whatever they had, that was it. You know, Blockbuster wasn't putting that stuff out. Like that was that was what you got. That was your choice. That was it. Uh, different times, different times nowadays. <laughs> Kids are going to listen to this. Like, what the fuck is Blockbuster? <laughs> <laughs> That's... I mean, I don't know. That's not true. I uh, I always make I, when 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 I've worked with uh, older people, they always uh, uh, make the joke about like just give me the facts, and then they make a reference to the show that that's from, and they say you probably don't get what reference that is, and I go no, I I do. It's because old people like you have told me what the reference is about, so it's it's there. I feel like that's what we're doing now with blockbusters. We're like oh. You don't know what it was like, you know. You don't even know what Blockbuster was, youngling person. And they're just like, "Yeah, I know what Blockbuster was because old people keep explaining it to me because I don't know what it was." Just shut up and let me go about my life. Just, just let me stream on one of my <laughs> apps and leave me alone. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the mark of getting old, man. Getting upset <laughs> that something completely irrelevant isn't known by everyone. <laughs> mm. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I think uh, I really want to share, like I said before, I, I, I really think that uh, the movie itself has this great uh, story and everything. But I also feel like I really want to share it with you guys, if you're OK with it, uh, kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff, as well as some of the quotes that kind of are around this movie, because I feel like in itself, the story of how this movie came here to America is this it's really great and interesting. Uh, one of the big things it's kind of, and to give history here uh, specifically, um, this is not the f- this was not the first uh, Studio Ghibli's film to ever come over here. Um, one of the other ones that was done early on was Nas and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this uh, Nasuke of the Valley of the Wind, and it was 
brought over here and then just like horribly butchered and cut and it in itself has this uh it's it's a very nice coming of age story in its own way and it was just destroyed and cut terribly to shreds and told a completely different story than what it was originally done michael so, was that was that due to like the publishing company here in the united states that went ahead and like distributed it or was it like a motion picture censorship kind of issue so uh, uh, yeah for my understanding it was essentially it was, it was a little little a little combi uh okay. but mostly column a there with the essentially the distributor being like people aren't gonna get this this is weird this isn't disney and then essentially <laughs> trying to make it a disney thing uh okay. which is uh, admittedly is uh, kind of touching back on our uh, godzilla podcast is uh, we do that a lot early when a lot of these uh, Japanese movies come over here. We just go, hmm, they're n- <laughs> Americans are dumb. They're not going to understand this. <laughs> We're going to let's chop it up and make it American. Uh, being said, there was some um, American edits and we'll, I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. But uh, one of the biggest stories around this movie specifically was is that um, allegedly and later it was uh, refined, but allegedly Miyazaki sent uh, Harvey Weinstein, which is a completely other topic we won't touch on, but at the time, person that was in charge of the distributor for the film, Princess Mononoke here in America, he sent him a samurai sword. And on the samurai sword was engraved two words, uh, no cuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially, you know, saying... we. We aren't going to let you mess with this movie like you messed with the other one that was uh, that was butchered horribly. Um, and the thing is, is that Weinstein seriously wanted to scale back the movie because it was running at 100, 134 minutes, which was way too long for kids. They wanted to probably get it down to what it would like to a nice tight 90 minute type movies uh, that you show to kids. But uh, they sent it over and alleged and and. It was at the time everyone thought it was Miyazaki. It later, it was his one of his producers was the one that sent it. But still, Miyazaki said in an interview that he um, he did go to he did go to New York and meet the man, this Harvey Weinstein. And I was bombarded with his aggressive attack. All these demands for cuts, I defeated him. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so. That just kind of shows you uh, the the man that was uh, there, and then where was the other one? So uh, the there was, like I said, some alterations for the American adaptation of the script. Understandably so. There's certain you know cultural things that don't translate from uh, one side of the ocean to the other. I think one of the classics is um, in Pokemon when Brock like hands uh, like holds up some rice balls, which are a common you know, food and treat in Japan. And he goes, man, I love jelly filled donuts uh, in America. <laughs> so, you know, I, I understand some, some changes need to happen. And so they actually got uh, Neil uh, Gaiman to tweak the script a little bit, uh, which is interesting um, because he's, you know, a British fantasy writer, because who could tweak it better for America than a British fantasy writer? Um, and so they switched some of the references around, uh, obviously understanding that, uh, some things when it translates specifically, they added dialogue when, uh, Ashitaka was cutting off his, his, uh, top knot, his hair, um, and like the significance of what that means. Cause in America, we really don't have that same type of 
it's it's not a through line through our culture the significance of cutting off someone's hair because it is a big part of samurai culture when uh, they would cut the the knot off of their hair right. essentially it means that they would they no longer had a lord so that was a really big one they added um but then one of the really funny ones is when uh jingo the uh monk drinks the soup at one point and says uh, oh this tastes like donkey piss is was changed from the original i mean still i think anywhere that would be kind of seen as bad but uh, in the original japanese he says this tastes like water and because in J japan that's like a huge insult uh i think even more cutting than it would be to say you know it tastes like donkey piss is that say that it just tastes like water because that's how bad your um soup is is that essentially just <laughs> it has no flavor whatsoever it's a sick burn <laughs> <laughs> get him yeah um this was also and then just kind of other things this was the the first animated movie to win best picture at the japanese oscars uh so what's going on with you america we need to step up our uh, game here and start winning more uh, giving out some more awards to other movies that deserve it for those types of categories mm -hmm. hold your breath on that one <laughs> Uh, no, we've got a pretty flawed system here in the United States. <laughs> Vis a vis the last uh, last round of Oscars. <laughs> Another one, big one, is that only about ten percent of the movie is computer animated, uh, has CGI in it. Um, and Miyazaki himself says computers are really just an electronic pencil or pen, and I really like regular pencils better. <laughs> That is the most Japanese way to say we're not using computers <laughs> when we're making this movie. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and to be clear, when he says that um, the movie contains hand-drawn cells, so essentially uh, kind of a... I, for those that don't know how hand-drawn works is that you have different layers of drawings put on top of each other, and they're called cells, so you can have sort of like a background or um, a foreground, and you put them on top of each other the movie itself contains over 144,000 hand-drawn cells in it wow i mean that is why it looks like an oil painting at times when he's like mm -hmm. riding through the landscape it really is breathtaking yeah and that's you know that's the the speak to the quality i think of animation uh specifically you know anime is they do these beautiful and, and one of the big parts, too, is that they do these beautiful backgrounds. And this is going to be a little bit of a nerding out on kind of the artistic style of it here. Apologize. But they have you have these beautiful backgrounds. You can't manipulate these backgrounds uh, once they're drawn. Not like in a CGI environment where you can, you know, showcase kind of uh, reflections or have the computer figure some of this grunt work out for you. So you have to, as an animator, figure out what every scene calls for and the importance of it. So in some of these scenes with the movement, they have to showcase kind of the change in perspective. I think when the wolves are attacking, there's that great movement that happens when they're kind of coming down towards the camera and then they take a hard um, left. And you have to, as an animator, know that that's coming and know and draw that out in the background itself. You can't just simply make the characters move faster and have the camera that you're utilizing move through the environment faster. You have to give that emphasis through lines, through the weight of the work that you're doing. So it's kind of it. Uh, I mean, 
Another big one is that Miyazaki also planned to retire after this movie was done. Uh, He was kind of reaching what he felt was the end of his, his career. Um, But he did return for uh, the spirited away movie as well after that. And I think he did a few, he's done a few more after this. So retiring is, I don't think what was in his cards really. I think he wanted to, but then had more stories to tell us, which was wonderful because I appreciate him. Yeah, that man takes long breaks. That I understand, but uh, yeah, no, no retiring anytime soon, please. Perfect. I mean, that's really uh, kind of it for like goofy fun things. I there's a bunch of other lore around. Kind of one of the cool things about Miyazaki films is that he doesn't specifically pick from uh, spe- really specific parts of Japanese uh, mythology and heritage. You see a lot of it between Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away where it's more kind of piecemealed like oh i kind of like this part oh kind of like this part there's you know there's some references in japanese uh lore to wolves raising people but a lot of people more associate san's story with uh the famous roman story of romulus and remus being raised by wolves and there was actually like a long long long-standing idea that if you fed wolf's milk to a baby they would grow up big and strong which I mean, I think that's more uh, a statement to the parents' strength because you have to milk a wolf, which sounds horrific. <laughs> it's like that uh, Robert De Niro meets the parents thing. I've got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Well, wolves are huge, man. Yeah, that, that does not sound like a <laughs> enjoyable experience by any stretch. That's it's like touching a linebacker, man. That's seven foot long, 200 pounds. <laughs> that thing will kill you. <laughs> yeah, it might just tear your throat right out. You never know. Um, I did appreciate as well, and I, I can't yeah. remember his name, but there was the, the, I guess, con man guy who was posing as a monk, and he freaking breaks his arm, and then somebody asks him about that later, and he goes, oh, it's all the way healed. Oh, it's still broken. <laughs> so, oh, you're, th- you're thinking of uh, the uh, cattle driver is who yeah, you're thinking of. Yeah, wh- whichever character it was. But that, <laughs> that was one of the, the laugh-out-loud moments of the movie for me. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely healed. Oh, it's still broken. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think this movie does such a great job of blending serious action, comedy moments, uh, and like general, g- genuine human emotion betrayal throughout the entire experience. I, I do agree, Jesse. It is a little bit more of all the ones that uh, you know you decided to get initiated on. Uh, definitely, some of the others have a more kind of liberal sense of humor. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you decided on this movie, man, because, uh, um, I don't know, I think at the end of the day, it tells a story that we need to hear. I mean, I don't know, there's stuff going on all over the world. There was just another shooting down south in Colorado. Um, stuff is heating up in Israel and Palestine. It just feels like uh, we need more stories like this in the world that just remind you that uh, maybe maybe we can all get along. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... Beautiful, Dre. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Well, uh, I mean, 
I think I think it's a wonderful note to wrap up on. Uh, do you guys have anything else to you'd like to talk about or you know say any last re last remarks? Well, don't go all at once. Uh, <laughs> I would I would say you know I I will probably regret the the dour comment, but uh, just because it was more you know more serious, more you know. I guess uh, not, you know, happy-go-lucky type story. That doesn't mean, you know, to Dre's point that it wasn't important. So I would hope anybody listening to this who, like me, is an anime novice, is considering, you know, giving more of this stuff a chance because I, I really do think it's unique in a lot of respects and you know can be appreciated in its own right next to other genres. So that's what I'm going to try and do. Right on, man. Well. Um, yeah, it's really cool to have this discussion. Uh, you know, it's, uh, um, uh, really grateful for you guys having me on and just, uh, a lot of fun to be able to talk about one of my favorite things, uh, with, uh, people that, uh, I don't know, have an open mind and, uh, you know, uh, an eye for both talent and technique, like both of you do, both of you studied storytelling and filmmaking and know what it takes to, to make something, you know, this cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, just cool that I got to share, uh, that appreciation with some friends. So thanks a lot, guys. No, thank you, man. I, I mean, we said it last week, uh, again, uh, thank you for the microphones. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm using it. It's wonderful. I, I did, I, I listened and definitely heard a, uh, stark difference between previous episodes and uh the last episode on the auto uh, audio quality that i was able to produce so appreciate it and thank you so much for them oh yeah guys absolutely it's uh good to hear and yeah last week sounded way clear so really happy for you guys because you're putting on a hell of a good show really proud of you guys <laughs> you're the you're the gift giver there right you're the giving tree just don't keep <laughs> oh, giving just it wedding buddy Oh Lord! <laughs> I got I got plenty of gifts at the the bachelor party, so that makes me a little nervous. But uh, you know, <laughs> mostly good. So I'm excited. Perfect. I like I said before. I think this is one of my favorite Yazaki movies, and specific. I think it's one of the best Studio Ghibli films put out there. I I the the message is is eternal. Uh, I think. As long as humans are humans, I think this movie will stand the test of time and its message and what it embodies. So, and uh, I think going forward, Dre, I think we'll definitely have you back because we have to force Jesse to watch Spirited Away and uh, Akira. So you'll have to come back and talk with us about this because now we're going to just have to shame Jesse uh, for suggesting those two movies and then not actually have seen them. Oh, would love to do it, man. Got plenty of stuff to share if you guys are interested. Just wait till we do the horror episode and around Halloween. I'll suggest all kinds of things I haven't seen before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds awesome, guys. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, like always, uh, please feel free to reach out. Uh, we do have our email, uh, hittherealpodcast at gmail.com, spelled just like the title of the podcast itself. Just wanted to let you know it is there. I do check it fairly regularly. And if you want to suggest a potential future topic, throw it there. If you want to come on, let us know. We'd be happy to talk with you and figure out what we can do. As you can tell, we're a very professional operation here. And feel free to reach out. We do have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we're working, like I said last time, Jesse and I 
are, uh, we both do have full-time jobs. Uh, this is more of a hobby right now for us. So we've been putting forth some more effort. I think the last episode I added uh, some outro and intro music. Uh, hopefully you enjoy those and we're going to keep on progressing. We have some fun ideas lined up, uh, especially like Jesse kind of semi alluded to. Uh, we do have an interesting idea for a Halloween episode. Uh, and hopefully some more interesting things, potentially even merchandise might come down the line. So thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you. And like always, hey, keep it real. <laughs> <laughs>